Hello and welcome to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. This podcast does contain occasional strong language and adult themes. If you are averse to spoilers for the film that is listed in the title, please tune out now, go watch the movie, or, like us, stop at the intermission, watch the movie, and resume the podcast after. Thanks for coming along on this ride with us. Please enjoy. You once said that uh, you like to make an audience scream through technical means. What is it about an audience screaming that you like? Now, those are the kind of questions uh, that the film buffs like to ask. They expect an awful lot of the sort of material that I don't tell anybody. And it was a nightmare. It was an eye-opener. Ignorance. Sheer ignorance. You know, there's no confidence to equal it. I don't have any problem with enjoying big blockbuster. I'm not a fascist of those boring art movies which when they are over you are glad that they are over and then you celebrate it just as a kind of a superstitious measure. I will talk about it so that I don't have to see it again or whatever. So in a way our our broadcast was an assault on the uh, credibility of that machine. We wanted people to understand that they shouldn't take any opinion predigested and they shouldn't swallow everything that came through the tap. We had uh, Orson Welles, Albert Hitchcock, John Ford, Howard Hawks, Roman Polanski. We had uh, Antonioni. It was unbelievable time to listen to these guys talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I am joined by AJ. What's up? No, not much, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty sweet. Uh, about that's... as good as I was doing about half an hour ago when we started. <laughs> and I hope you're still doing well. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I'm going to cut all that out. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about a movie today. And before we get into it and do the summary, uh, I'm going to ask you a question here to kind of get an idea of where your head's at as far as movies go. So what would you say your favorite creature feature is? My favorite creature feature? Yeah. Oh, shit. That's hard. Um, I've never even thought about that before. Hmm. I don't know why, but, like, Coraline is jumping into my head. Coraline? Yeah. The stop motion one? Oh. Yeah. I've never seen that one. Yeah. I don't think I've seen a lot of creature features, and I don't know if you would count that as one, but, like, I don't know. I guess the main villain in that is, like, kind of a creature. I, I guess. <laughs> I guess you could count the creature features that normally when I think of a creature feature, I think of like, I guess something like, um, and this is a bad example because I've only seen, well, you know, here, I'll give you another, cause I've only seen like one and it wasn't the one that mattered, but like, uh, uh, tremors, uh, and there's also jaws, I guess, which is kind of under the oh. shark thing. Yeah. Jaws is really I, I would one. even almost say like gremlins. Oh you yeah. Know? Okay. Stuff well. like that. Just random Random, like, little creatures running around, oh, okay. or, or big creatures, or whatever. Like, I would almost even count, like, like Godzilla movies, right? Or, like, King Kong. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I didn't think of it that broadly, I guess. Um, hmm. I mean, Kong Skull Island is great. All, like, the, all the monsters in that are awesome, uh, obviously. I, but... So, sidebar, I saw Skull Island, like, last weekend, so good. So awesome. Or no, not no, not Skull Island. Sorry. Uh Godzilla versus Kong. Oh yeah? Which was really good. So I, I have to see Skull Island though. 
Oh, dude. Because I that was the one that like made me want to see those movies. The the whole monster verse. Yeah. Because I'm not really a Godzilla guy. I I'm not a weeb dragon stan. <laughs> yeah. I very much like the big monk because apes together are strong, as they say. Of of course, of course. So, uh, yeah. But I saw not Skull Island, but Godzilla versus Kong not that long ago, and it yeah. was very good. So yeah. I I want to see Skull Island. Definitely, definitely see that because uh, Coraline is still sticking out to me. I, I feel like that counts. I'm just gonna count it uh, personally. But Kong Skull Island, yeah, that also like when you said that, that definitely sticks out because uh, that there are there's a good like variety of monsters in that, and they are all like insanely cool, like crazy. Yeah, yeah the action sequences in that are so good, and it's like miles better than Godzilla versus Kong. Well, not. I don't know miles better, but there are less kids in it, so it, it's, yeah. To me, it's a lot better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, honestly, my thoughts on Godzilla versus Kong was that it actually wasn't a monster movie. It was actually an '80s buddy cop film where the two, <laughs> where the, where the buddy cop, where they yeah, just wanted dude. to kill each other, <laughs> yeah. and then they realized that they were actually friends at the end. That is a very valid point. That is like, such a valid point. I, I wouldn't even count it as a creature feature. And here's like a weird bit of trivia that's like from that movie, but like Adam Wingard, the director, yeah, based kong on bruce willis's character from die hard no way not even joking that's awesome so <laughs> i sick. i don't even think of it as a creature feature but i i don't know mine i probably i don't know that i have a favorite because creature features i kind of like missed i would probably if i'm gonna go really broad here i'm gonna probably give you three answers right i'm gonna say like troll 2 is just so bad it's good and it i would count that as a creature feature okay it's so dumb and it's awful uh, so it's kind of like a bad it's good thing and yeah. then my other two would be probably jurassic park and probably piranha 3d because piranha oh, yeah. 3d is just stupid fun it's a stupid <laughs> fun horror like gore film it's great. So I, I would say probably those three are, are my favorite uh, as far as creature features go. I mean, I'm probably missing some here, and there's a lot that I've missed out on, frankly. Oh, yeah. Me, me too, definitely. I want to do my own sidebar here, actually, uh, just like really quick because you mentioned you, just because of the buddy cop thing with God Godzilla versus Kong. One, that's a great comparison. And two, I want to give a quick shout out to one of my friends, uh, Sailor, if you're listening. I hope you are because I know I'm going to send this podcast to you like 20 times to make you listen to it. But when that movie was coming out, she kept she kept talking to us during class and like and she was saying like I don't even think she saw it with us, but she was like she would slow down and like speak really softly and she'd be like, I really want Godzilla and Kong to just like lean in really close and just smooch. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going into it and so you know that that's like a buddy cop, right? That's a new wave buddy cop movie. Yeah, it's like um the other guys. Yeah, exactly. Right? Where it's like, oh yeah, definitely Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell will probably kiss in this movie at some point. <laughs> yeah. It feels like they could honestly, I feel like Riggs and uh uh oh god, what's his face? Um uh Martin and Riggs, like they would basically like they would kiss at some point, probably. Like at yeah. least by the fourth lethal weapon or fifth. Wasn't there five? Uh, or am I thinking of Die Hard now? There were at least four, because I have four yeah. on my shelf. I feel Maybe like the, by the fourth one, they would have kissed. Yeah, definitely. Maybe the fifth one just sucks, and so you don't have it. <laughs> Maybe. If, if there is one. I know that, like, because I've got, like, the four Die Hards, right? And I've got the four Lethal Weapons sitting on my shelf, and I've seen all of them. And it's just, But it's been so long since I've watched them. I know that there's a fifth Die Hard. But I never remember if there's a fifth lethal weapon. I feel like there is, but like I don't know, frankly. Yeah, I don't know. I 
I I don't remember. I feel like I feel like there is too. Uh, I I feel like I've definitely like looked it up and there is one somewhere out there. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but that's that's actually really funny because I feel like very much could have happened like right at the end where it's just like <laughs> yeah. they're looking at each other and then they definitely could have almost kissed there. <laughs> Kong is like reaching out his hand as Godzilla walks into the ocean. <laughs> My heart will go on. <laughs> like, yeah, I just wanted to like bring that up really quick because uh, I was definitely waiting for that the entire movie. I was kind of like in the back of my head, like hoping that would happen. And uh, since you said the buddy cop thing, I thought it applied. <laughs> so yeah, it, I mean, it really was. Anyway, so I'm going to read you the summary for the movie that we're actually going to talk about. And it's not a buddy cop film. And I don't know that it even has any creatures in it at all. I, who knows? A documentary about the meteoric rise, tragic fall, and the shenanigans in between of beloved Boston rap group, the Beastie Boys. It's interstellar. I'm confused. <laughs> this is, so I was wondering if you get that joke, because the Beastie Boys, one of their big hit songs is Intergalactic. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. It's... It's like, uh, whoosh. <laughs> well, I mean, I know I, I've listened to the Beastie Boys. I've listened to them recently and I know I've listened to Intergalactic <laughs> recently. So I'm just really slow. <laughs> like, I'm that's, really slow. That's OK. I don't know if you've if you've noticed, but I basically just try to base these summaries <laughs> on the title alone. And I'm like. I almost read just straight up lyrics from Intergalactic as part of the summary. And I'm like, no, that would be a little bit, that's a little bit off of what I normally do. So I'll just say it's Doc, but like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of this one. So screw you for not getting it immediately. Hey, I don't, hey, don't feel bad because I'm stupid. That's a, that is a good one. That's genuinely good. It's okay. Honestly, I probably would not have, if someone did that to me, I probably would have just been like, what <laughs> yeah. oh oh that's that's funny <laughs> it's it's one of those jokes that's like a slow burn and there's nothing wrong with that there's you're gonna absolutely like, nothing like wrong with literally that. when you go home you know you're just gonna be like in two weeks from now right you're just gonna be thinking about something else completely and you're just gonna be like you're just gonna laugh about it randomly out in the middle of nowhere dude i do that with like regular jokes <laughs> yeah i'm definitely gonna do that oh yeah Cool. So we're talking about Interstellar, which is 2014, directed by Christopher Nolan. So mm. I haven't seen this. I believe you have, correct? Yeah, I've seen this like fairly recently, actually, because I think uh, I think Christopher Nolan's like uh, this is such like a basic like white guy in his 20s who's like into movies kind of thing. But like uh, Christopher Nolan is like one of the few is like one of the first directors that I like made an effort. I like I want to see like all of this guy's like movies. These are cool. All right, cool. I, I was hoping that was your opinion. Because in point of fact, I generally can't stand Christopher Nolan. I think he's a pretentious douche. Really? Uh, Whoa. I respect what he does sometimes, right? I, yeah. I respect some of the things he does. In general, I like that he tries to use as many like practical effects as he can, right? Mm -hmm. Like That's one of his things that he does. But I think that he's too heady for his own good. In a lot of cases, and I, it's my personal theory, and I need to, after watching this movie, I'll probably maybe refine it a bit more, but I've seen, like, you know, so probably of the Nolan films that I've seen, I can name, let's see, I watched half of 
What was the movie with the squinty man in it? Gonna, squinty meme guy. Can you be a little more specific? Uh, uh, DiCaprio. Um, oh, oh uh, God. Uh, Inception. Inception. Yeah, Inception. Yeah. The squinty meme man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because there's that. that's what that's from, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's from that. That or it's him holding a monster, but that's from him in a good movie, Django Unchained. <laughs> Damn, dude. You're going to talk shit about Inception in front Look, of me? Look, I haven't even seen the whole thing and I'm talking shit. What? about it because <laughs> oh, i stopped man i couldn't stand it i'm really? just like i stopped halfway through it because i'm like this movie's garbage and i hate it and he's pretentious as hell oh dude inception's so cool and it's funny because i used to be that guy who was like i only watch movies because they were pretentious i've since like done a 180 on these things and i'm like i've realized and i think nolan was the one that helped me see it because like i saw like i saw memento and i thought it was okay right it, yeah, it was one of those things where it's like Oh, okay. That's good to see once, and then you never watch it again. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mendo's um, very okay. And I think it's it's that one I have the least problems with of any of his movies, right? Really? M- maybe. Oh, okay. I will say. I'll say. I think my my favorite film of his is probably The Prestige with uh, Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, where it's the magicians, like the competing magicians. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. You haven't seen that one? I don't think so. Uh, it's he, got it's what, got David Bowie in it too, as like Nikola Tesla. When did that come out? Uh, I want to say it was like mid two thousands, like like somewhere between 05 and oh eight, somewhere in there. Yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah, it's so if you like Nolan, I would say go watch that. Although that one's kind of one of those where it doesn't feel as much like a Nolan film. It's kind of a period piece about magicians in like the early nineteen hundreds or uh, late eighteen hundreds. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Like, around yeah. the time when, it, uh, like, electricity was being invented, because that was, like, one of the whole things about it, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I won't spoil that here, right, since you haven't seen it. But I like The Prestige, but I think that it suffered from a common a common thing that I hate about Nolan films is that it had Christian Bale in it. And I oh, don't yeah? like Christian Bale. Really? Yeah. The only good movie, the only movie that I really truly liked him in was Empire of the Sun, and he was a kid. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so... I guess... I guess that's kind of fair. I haven't seen a lot of Christian Bale movies. I've seen at least most of American Psycho, and I've seen the Batman movies that he's in. And I think he was okay in like American Psycho, but I think it was just because of the the actual movie that it was. But even so, I feel like Patrick Bateman would have been he would have been better served being played by someone else. It would have gone from if Bale wasn't in that movie and it was someone else that I would have like enjoyed more. I think that it would have gone from a, in my estimation, a pretty okay movie to a great movie. Yeah. But it was just the whole like bail factor is like, I just don't like him. I don't know. I like, I like him in that movie. I like him fine in that movie. But I think when I watch him in The Dark Knight or in American Psycho, I, there's like a gnawing feeling in the back of my head that I'm like, he's good in this. I like him a lot, but I don't know where else I would put this guy. Like, I don't know if I'd want to see him in anything else, you know? Yeah, I barely want to see him in those, so, like, you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, I, that's fair. I, I don't know. Well, anyway, my, my whole theory, again, because I've seen the Batman movies, half of Inception, and, and the Prestige Memento. I think what he's trying to do, in every case, I think he's trying to, with the exception of maybe Memento, I think he's at least trying to explore the same exact theme of essentially this weird mystery or dual identity sort of thing in almost every movie that I've seen. 
uh, him do. Like, it's the same movie. He's just putting it in a different chassis, right? He's, like, literally changing the story a bit here and there. Because I think in the whole Batman movie, I think you can kind of, like, you can look at that and you can look at the prestige and you can even look at Memento and you can say it's about the dual nature of man and the dual nature of this, these, these people who are in it, these main characters. And it's talking about X, Y, Z and he's getting really heady about it. And I just don't like it because I think he's just doing the same thing over and over again and just kind of putting it on different backdrops. That's my personal theory. I don't know how that's going to be when I watch Interstellar. And I do need to, frankly, I do need to finish watching Inception and I'm going to do this, that on the podcast at some point. Yeah. But like, Man, I just am walking into this with just this absolute, like, not, not like of... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I should have said dislike, but I'm going to keep it that way. This not like of Christopher Nolan, mm. while still begrudgingly respecting him about certain things. So before we get, like, too off the rails, I do want to come back to this whole, like, Nolan discussion. Okay. Uh, I do want to do a little bit of trivia here. So I got a few questions for you. Since you've seen this, I want to know, I'm curious to see how well you'll do. So, question number one. There is an explanation of a wormhole in this film that is identical to the explanation in what other film? Is it A, Stargate, B, Event Horizon, or C, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Hmm. It is almost identical to the, basically from what I understand, it's almost identical to like, how they physically do it in the film. Okay, so Bill and Ted, Stargate, and... Event Horizon. Event Horizon, okay. <sighs> Damn it. Uh, when I said I saw this film recently, uh, that means, like, probably, like, last year at some point. I don't... It's recent for a movie. I don't know if I remember exactly the wormhole part, but I know... Well, I guess the time-bending shit... Well, the problem is I haven't seen any of these movies before, so oh. <laughs> this is going to be kind of hard. But I, I, the time-bending shit that they go in with, with the wormholes, they time-travel in Bill and Ted, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll pick Bill and Ted. <laughs> I'm like, uh, honestly, like so that makes so sense. That C. makes sense to me. Yeah. That Bill makes and the Ted's excellent adventure. Uh, it was actually B event horizon. Damn. Okay. Uh, which event horizon is, you know, it's been a minute since I've seen it. It's, I would say, I know I need to rewatch it too, frankly, but I remember it being very good. And then Stargate, obviously they have like Stargates, which are like portals. And they, they do explain similarly, like how wormholes work. And yeah. I think they do that in Bill and Ted too, but they don't do it exactly the same way. But like, I think almost as far as I'm aware of the trivia, it's like almost like a shot for shot, like, like line for line. Like here's, here's how this works. Or at least <laughs> oh, wow. if, if, if the trivia on IMDb is to be believed. Okay. So that's interesting. I will see how that works, which is funny because that leads into a little bit of the headiness of this movie because Nolan... This movie was produced by, like, I guess, uh, and I don't remember his name now, but a theoretical physicist. Really? Yes. That's interesting. Uh, who, I guess, had beef with Stephen Hawking when he was alive and, like, made bets about this movie and stuff like that. I don't know. There's weird stuff going on with that. Oh, wow. The trivia was kind of all over the place on that, so I didn't bother including it. But he basically said that, um, and, and actually I'm going to quickly, because this is actually pretty funny. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull up IMDB here and I'm going to read one of these bits of trivia. <laughs> so it's Dr. Kip Thorne is the one who was, I guess, producing this right 
and he was consulted on the actual physics of it, right? Okay. Uh, of, of what happened. So early, this is the directly from IMDb trivia. Early in pre-production, Dr. Kip Thorne laid down two guidelines to strictly follow. Nothing would violate established physical laws, and all the wild speculations would spring from science and not from the creative mind of a screenwriter. So that right there, because science is pretty much fake and gay, <laughs> yeah, like, just makes totally. me really want to not yeah. like this movie at all because it's like... <laughs> You're literally taking this form of entertainment and trying to do a science lesson with it. Oh, yeah. As you were reading that, I was, like, trying to put myself in the shoes of, like, somebody who worked on this movie. And I just, like, imagining, like, how angry I would be if some big fucking nerd came into the studio one day and was like, no, you guys can't do that. That's not how space works. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here, you fucking, it's you like, fucking point Dexter. Have you ever seen the Star Wars? Like, <laughs> yeah. like get out of here, point Dexter. We're trying to make cool shit. <laughs> like, get out. <laughs> but, yeah, that's <laughs> that would be so frustrating. It's kind of cool. I guess if you're into that kind of thing, if you you like to act smart because you know stuff about science or whatever, or like you watch sciencey shit, you follow a Facebook page that posts science or whatever. Interstellar's like kind of cool because just because of like how accurate you guys can't see it on the air, but I'm doing quotation marks with my fingers. Like how accurate it is. I mean, it's cool if you're into that kind of thing. But at the same time, I could see it being a huge turnoff for anybody who's like, okay, so there's like no creative liberties taken it's just yeah and i yeah. think that's the the problem that i have with this and i feel like a lot of like nolan's movies are so hyper realistic yeah that which is why i like the prestige the most out of all the movies that i've seen of his it's because that was so it was a period piece and while it was relatively hyper realistic for the time it had fantastical elements to it that were just like because you're dealing with these like magicians right who are doing these magic tricks and they're yeah. presenting them as magic tricks so you have that element of sort of wonder mm -hmm. and to me when you have a movie like this where you just say everything's going to be hyper real we're not going to do anything creative and it's going to be based on the laws of science it's like i feel like you're one unnecessarily handicapping yourself yeah and two what you're also doing is you're saying that like if you have to kind of dance around this explanation, you're gonna make people feel dumb. Which I get again. I I get movies aren't for everyone. Not everyone is. Every movie is for everybody. But the fact that like this movie is so up its own ass just feels <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to me like I'm not going to enjoy it just because of that fact alone. Yeah. Now. I could be wrong, and you're right. That sort of stuff can be fascinating. Yeah. And I'm cool with, like, if it's presented in a way that's, like, cool and, and new and unusual, I'm cool with it. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm optimistic in that sense because this seems, like, more tangible than, I guess, Inception was, where it's like, oh, yeah, it's just dreams. This is like, yeah. oh, we're actually messing with timelines here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is more up my alley than it's all a dream. Or yeah, is it? Ooh. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Jazz hands. Ooh. Yeah. Like, I will say that I I do think it's cool. I'm I guess I'm kind of playing devil's advocate on myself here. I can see a person not liking it because I feel because it could take away some personality of whatever creative decision you decide to make to explain how space works. I think it's genuinely cool because it is interesting to see how stuff like that can work. And I don't know. You can walk away from it and being like, okay, this is something that like. 
could potentially like really happen or something or you know something like that you know i i like it but at the same time but yeah i totally get what you're saying like it could it could totally ruin it for you at this point i i'm open to it i want it to be good like i that's my goal with this podcast is i want to watch movies and i want them to be good obviously every movie's not going to be good and i'm not going to like every movie but (laughs) if this can change my mind on nolan great if not then it's just going to reinforce like everything to me but anyway so you're you're over one here so let's do question number two interstellar was slated to be filmed in 2006 and was not to be directed by nolan who was the original director attached was it a steven spielberg b martin scorsese or c francis ford coppola i feel like steven spielberg would like a movie like this but i feel like it's not as like fantastical as it could be does that make sense yeah like, i feel like he's got more of like a whimsical Spiel- kind of vibe. yeah spielberg is definitely like he injects a level of whimsy into every film that he does that like is not always appropriate but it's very him yeah oh yeah definitely i feel like you know when you're watching a spielberg film yeah definitely. for sure I'm trying to think of a Martin Scorsese movie just off the top of my head. I know I've seen one. Uh, just... Like, I think Gangs of New York um, is one of them. I'm... Oh, yeah, that guy. The old... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> the Goodfellas guy, right? <laughs> or wait, no. Uh, Taxi Driver. Right, right. And... No, maybe he didn't do Gangs of New York. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. But he did uh, Mean Streets, Goodfellas, yeah. uh, Age of Innocence. Okay. I'm trying to. I'm looking here to see if there's anything else that he did that I would right. really recognize. Wolf of Wall Street. He did that one. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Scorsese does a lot of like stuff like. Right. Is that he's like kind a, of like that. a gangster movie kind of guy, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Coppola also does gangster movies because he did The Godfather as well. So. Oh well, yeah. Man, I feel like it's gonna be one of those guys, but like that's so that feels like so out there for one of those guys. I feel like scorsese is you know i just know about scorsese through like memes or whatever but (laughs) i feel like he's a more grounded type of director question mark that's the impression that i get i feel like spielberg is the safe option i'm probably just gonna go with him yeah all right well you are right it was steven spielberg uh he was slated to do that in 2006 and it was Martin Scorsese, I was right, who did Gangs of New York. Uh, okay, I was looking cool. up while you did that. But yeah, he was slated to do that in 2006. And then he's just like, uh, you know what, peace. I'm just not going to do it anymore because I got these other movies that I'm doing instead. Okay. So he literally just was like, peace, see you guys later. Uh, <laughs> and then I think it was picked back up because um, Nolan's brother, who's a screenwriter, I think Jonathan Nolan, he, he does screenwriting and he was the one who wrote it and was like, hey, my brother can direct this movie. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was kind of how that 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 happened. And that dude, from what I know about this movie, I feel like any of those guys, to I guess Nolan's credit, I think Nolan might be one of the only people, at least of a ma- like major Hollywood directors, who probably could do this. Of those those guys, I guess I I don't know. Is there anyone else who you think would be like on a par with like? With like him as far as like his style, I, I really don't know. The modern directors that I'm familiar with are all like horror directors. Oh yeah, so like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I know, kind of a hard pick. That's kind of a hard pick. Like I, I imagine that like I would love to see Ty West do like a weird slow burn sci fi like <laughs> yeah. like horror film, but like I don't know because it, it feels like Nolan is trying to remake here to kind of add to that pantheon of of directors there is trying to remake 2001 A Space Odyssey yeah. in a certain sense, which 
also I hate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't so know. it's not looking I, great for Interstellar yeah, because like oof. I, I have I have since uh, oh god who, and now I'm blanking on that. I I know who it is and it's gonna. I'm just blanking on the name. Who did who did 2001? That's um uh Kubrick right? Kubrick yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I forgot his name. I've changed my tune on Kubrick a little bit. Because I don't like The Shining, mostly because I think it's Stephen King and Kubrick is kind of hacky sometimes. Yeah, fuck Stephen King. For yeah. me personally, uh, I my views don't represent this podcast exactly, but fuck, fuck Stephen King. Oh no, no, that is actually the views of this podcast. Oh hell yeah, that's he's <laughs> he's actually our mortal enemy. Oh sweet, awesome! I didn't know I was so at home here. Fuck yeah, that guy. No, I hate no. him. <laughs> uh, there's actually, and you know what? Since we brought up Stephen King, I'm gonna offer this challenge yet again because he is his bitch ass is not accepted, and I've I've tagged him on Twitter. He ain't responded because he's a scared little bitch, right? <laughs> exactly. Find me behind a skeezy sunoco on the state line and will fight and whoever loses never writes another book again bet absolutely <laughs> i am there dude let's go uh i don't care uh, listen stephen king me personally i don't care if you send yourself or your son because you're too old to do it or something or no if he doesn't some... do it like he's a fucking bitch well yeah well he's a bitch either way but i don't care i don't care how it happens i just want it to happen <laughs> I, if we can, if we can fight stephen king and just shut him up for good I'd, i would do it for way less you know if he if he just like shuts down his twitter account forever or something like that oh, he's un, he's insufferable on twitter he's such a jackass i like <laughs> okay full stop never read a stephen king book before but i hate him anyway because yeah when i first got on twitter i saw just tweets by him where he's just the most stuck up like snooty author of all time. And then I, I think I remember I, I listened to your guys's um, episode on misery and yeah. you guys talked about like, Hey, you ever notice how like Stephen King writes about authors so much. And it's a story about like a toxic fan who like captures and tortures an author. And it's like, Oh, okay. So Stephen King just thinks he's the most innocent guy ever. And all of his fans are just, oh, so mean to him. And they torture him constantly. He's like a millionaire or something, right? Like, I don't, I don't care. I so no, don't care. He... <laughs> I don't care if your, like, fans are mean to you or something. Like, that's such a, you have that's it, such a You can dry your tears with all the money you make. Exactly. Like... <laughs> I don't know. I just, uh, that's, that's a big rant. But I remember I listened to that episode and I, and I read about that movie and I just got so mad. I'm like, why do you care about shit like that? Like, the movie wasn't bad. This is like big tangent, but like, the movie wasn't <laughs> yeah. bad, but like, I, I, so I have read some of Stephen King's books and they're just so, it, it carries over, right? Uh, yeah. Into that, like he's pretentious and stuck up about what he does. I don't like his writing style and honestly, he's very overrated when it comes to horror novelizations. Like I think normies like him because they don't know any better. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, like out of all the Stephen King books I can think of that I've seen as movies, um, I can't really like, like nothing about him sticks out to me. Like nothing like super interesting or like unique that he does like really sticks out to me. The creatures are pretty cool. You know, I like yeah, it, when, but 
when he has like creatures and stuff like that's that's interesting but like yeah i, I, I don't know I, i'd have to see more or watch more I, i've seen some of his a- adaptations but anyway this is getting way far afield anyway i was originally making a point about kubrick yeah um, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about because Stanley i've kubrick. changed my mind on kubrick a little bit yeah before before we talked about stephen king that just lit a fire in me but yeah i think we're good now <laughs> and, and it's fine I'm, I'm always down for bashing on stephen king on this podcast and i will always encourage it but uh, Kubrick, I've changed my position on a little bit. Like, I still very much dislike 2001 A Space Odyssey. I don't really like The Shining. Uh, and I don't like, um, oh, uh, Full Metal Jacket. It's, well, like, I like the first half of Full Metal Jacket. Okay. And yeah. the second half is like, why did you make this? Why did you make two different movies and shove them together? Why'd you make these <laughs> movies kiss? Yeah, yeah. But I really, and I didn't realize he did it. But I really like Spartacus. It's like a biblical epic, right? So it's a yeah. completely different movie than he's known for. And then also, I obviously like, um, and I mentioned it before, I like A Clockwork Orange. That's a good, that's a good uh, movie. And Doctor Strangelove. The, mm-hmm. and, and those I like. I like that sort of version of Kubrick, which is kind of like this absurd, almost comedy in a way. Or like when he's doing these other films that he's that's not 2001. But anyway, yeah. I feel like Interstellar... Nolan is basically just, this is his love letter where he wants to French kiss Kubrick for 2001. And that's the impression that I get of everything, as the Mighty Mighty Boss Tone said. I've never had to knock on wood, but I'm sure it isn't good. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I just feel like it's going to be that way and I'm not going to like it. Anyway, that was a big tangent, but uh, you were right, it was Steven Spielberg. And I don't know who else would really like... I don't know. I, I don't know what a Spielberg version of Interstellar would look like. Would I like 2001 A Space Odyssey if Steven Spielberg did it? Yeah, probably because it would have more whimsy, but I still probably wouldn't think it's a great movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I would like that because um, I think, didn't you originally ask me like if there was like another director that I would like to see do this? Yes, that was right. the whole point okay. of it. Right. I was like, there was a question in somewhere in here but <laughs> we forgot about it. Yeah, I, I feel like watching Spielberg like direct this would make me cringe because um, there's a lot of, I genuinely like the accurate, you know, space science shit. And I feel like if Steven Spielberg got his hands on it, he would kind of make it a lot more whimsical and not just like let the sheer spectacle of this movie just kind of like speak for itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I just, I just feel like that's something he would do. So I don't think I'd like it as much. I think when I watch a Christopher Nolan movie, I can like definitely expect that it's at least going to be like very aesthetically pleasing. Like the cinematography is going to look pretty cool. The I'm going to like the music, and I think an Interstellar comes together pretty well. Where the spectacle of like uh, every scene, you know, kind of just yeah, I don't know, really like pops out on screen. I don't really know how else to describe that. That is it. the one thing that I will that I will give Nolan, I, and I like he's a very good editor because everything is always edited very tightly, right? Yep. And he's also he's got very nice visuals in his movie. Everything is hyper realistic because. Most of the things that he usually films are real. And that's yeah. the those are the biggest positives for him that I see is that like, yeah, a lot of the stuff that he that he does is is very it looks great, frankly. Yeah. Like it looks beautiful. I would say that in general terms, like I don't necessarily like him as a like when he's doing action, I think he's not very good. I, I don't know if you're familiar with this and I have to find the the videos again. Um, but I, I was watching not too long ago like videos uh about like there's this film critic who was basically comparing or going through Nolan's Batman films, right? And basically mm-hmm. saying, like, here's, like, normally how you would do these scenes. And here's Nolan. Like, he's very... 
his editing is so good that it makes poor action shots look at least passable, right? Oh, yeah. Like, he has... Like, according to this guy, he really just doesn't have, like, a vision, a good vision for, like, action and stuff. But there's there's these, uh, basically, the YouTube videos are, are just called Search for In the Cut Part 1, Shots in the Dark. Uh, and there's a film critic who goes through, like, this, the whole, like, chase sequence in the Dark Knight where they're, like, in the in the vans and stuff and, oh, okay. and all that junk. Yeah. And he kind of goes through, he's like, hey, here's what would traditionally be done. And he's like... Normally, it's it's very confusing, but Nolan covers up these like these confusing aspects of how he doesn't really understand movement on the screen, but yeah. he's editing to kind of hide that, right? Okay, yeah. So he's a great editor, but he's not very good at like capturing motion, right? So I would hate to see like a Nolan like straight up action flick, which is why I think I didn't really like Batman because the action in that like I don't remember like any of the fight scenes in Batman. Like they all just kind of seemed not great. Yeah. Well, I guess like in the dark Knight, Yeah, definitely. The action sequences do not stand out. It's, it's mostly just, uh, when the truck flips over, like when the guy explodes or something like that. In yeah. The police station. It's stuff like that. Like big spectacle stuff, you know, like plans coming together or big, yeah, big changes in the plot. That's, that's the, that's the shit that's like really good. And then when they fight each other, it's just like, it's like Christian Bale in this big bulky suit, like stomping around. It's not. It's not very exciting. No, I feel like that's not. That's not really his priority when he made those. No, I, I think you're right, and which, which is kind of like it irks me that he was the one that did those Batman movies that that get all of this love because Nolan, like to me as a as a Batman, like I'm not as big of a Batman nerd as like uh, our our mutual friend Alex is, right? Yeah. But I'm a big enough Batman nerd to know that like. Look, you just, you didn't create Batman, you created a guy in a bat suit that is, like, that smokes 15 packs of cigarettes a day, like, <laughs> yeah. and, and happens to be rich. Like, it's not Batman. Like, that, first of all, ticked me off. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then not only that, like, you just kind of take away everything that was cool about the character of Batman and do your own thing with it, which, again... If you did that with, like, if you made your own, like, superhero character, like, like with um, what Shyamalan did with Untouchable... Oh, uh, or unbreakable, unbreakable not yeah. untouchable unbreakable like i would have been you know what i'd have been more for that but yeah. like you're taking this character that is beloved and known and then you just kind of like take all the things that are unique about him and like oh he punched things good in his rich and has internal yeah. strife yeah and has like <laughs> all this military equipment that he can just buy just so he can just make himself a super spy <laughs> yeah it's yeah and he doesn't even really do super spy stuff he doesn't even do detective stuff he just like all right i'm here now that, that is a good point. In Dark Knight, he is, like, mostly along for the ride. And I feel like other characters do, like, the bulk of the work. I, I stand by. The Dark Knight would have been a better movie without Batman in it. If it was Damn. just Harvey Dent and, like, Heath Ledger's Joker. Like, Aaron Eckhart's Harvey Dent versus, like, if it was, like, an origin story without Batman in it whatsoever... And they were just playing off of each other as hero and villain. And like all the other characters were there. It's fine. You take yeah. Batman out of that movie. I would have like completely reversed my opinion on that movie. Whoa. Because Heath Ledger's Joker's great. Yeah. Aaron Eckhart's Two-Face is great. Commissioner, uh, um, what's his face? Commissioner Gordon, who's played by um, oh, uh, Gary Oldman. Yeah. Great. Like yeah. legit. But then Bale just kind of is there along for the ride and is like, He's just this weird foil that no one really cares about. Yeah, man, it's it's hard, dude. It's hard to, to listen to that because I really like that movie. 
And I'm also like not a big fan of like the new wave of people that are like, oh, the Dark Knight's not that great. But you're making I've some. Always good points had here. this opinion. You're, though. Well, yeah, yeah. You've. I'm sure. Yeah, you. You have all the integrity in the world. I'm sure. <laughs> but like, it just irks me because like honestly, like yeah, I can't really argue with that. Like that sounds like really interesting. It's hard to. It's hard to justify batman's existence in the dark knight it makes more sense in when rises comes into play like in rises and in batman begins yeah batman uh, begins like you have to have batman in there and i think yeah. that was his best batman film yep the other two were just kind of like movies with batman in them yeah well i think batman begins he becomes batman and that's fun to watch and then in rises yeah. he's like okay like the the gig's over like i have to stop at some point i don't know there's like a conflict i haven't seen rises in a while but you know he has to deal with the fact that he's probably going to have to stop pretty soon. And then I guess, yeah, the Dark Knight Rise, the Dark Knight is just like this weird, like middle ground where Alfred occasionally like yells at him, like, you need to stop doing Batman. And he's like, whatever, dude, I'm going to go. I'm going to stay up all night fighting dudes. Like, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't really, he doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I think within the context of it, if you like, you could even just say, like, take Dark Knight out of the trilogy and smush begins and rises together yeah and it would make a coherent arc yeah definitely but i think begins and again i'll say this and i'll I'll, i will continue to say this if you take batman out of that movie it's a better movie Mm -hmm. because you you would have more actual human conflict you would have this thing like this this two-dimensional character that is thrown in there to basically be like angsty you take that out and then you replace that with what aaron eckhart who's struggling with with you know the uh the need to basically you know do things by the book and then the the struggle to like uh I, you know what i'm just gonna take the law into my own hands realistically batman the only foil that batman serves is that at the end of the movie it's like oh you're the one who has to do all this because you can't leave it to these civilized guys. But I think it's more compelling as a movie if you watch the fall of this man and then you see it juxtaposed in the next film by like a Batman or a different yeah. movie with a Batman. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. So that's my that's my theory on it. Otherwise, like, you know, I like Heath Ledger's Joker. I think he was good. I liked the, I don't know, I, I liked Joaquin Phoenix's Joker better, uh, you know, oh, as, really? as far as like Jokers go. But... You know, I, I don't know. Anyway, we're getting very far afield. Yeah, and we're talking remember. about other Nolan films. You have one more <laughs> trivia question, so you are you are tied here. So here's a chance to win this trivia. So, the apocalyptic Earth setting in the film was inspired by what real life events? Was it A, the bombing of Hiroshima, B, the Dust Bowl, or C, the Mad Max documentaries? I don't think it would be Mad Max because it has nothing to do with gas, if I remember. It's mostly just a food crisis. I'm sad that you didn't call me out on my on my joke that the Mad Max movies were documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, I, I thought maybe it was like, I thought maybe you meant like a behind the scenes type of documentary on like the making of Mad Max. No, it's just because Australia is that way. Oh, of course. Right. I should have known that. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. I interrupted your actual train of thought. No, you're good. No, you're good. If you honestly, if you venture deep enough into Australia, Mad Max is probably happening somewhere right now. And we don't know it. (laughs) Let me see. What's the Dust Bowl? I'm not very educated. So the Dust Bowl is like basically during the Great Depression in like the 1920s and 30s, like, uh, like the middle of America, basically like there was a famine. And, oh, like, crops okay. couldn't grow. Oh, yeah, it's that one. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, you're one. right. It's that one. Yes. Uh, I feel like that's cheating a bit since I've seen this, but you know. You know what? It's fine. I take what I can get. I, all the other trivia is science nerd shit, and I'm like, I'm not going to spend like 30 hours trying to like decipher a question from all of this. I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. do this because it seems fun this is a disclaimer for the folks at home this podcast is not for dorks <laughs> yeah no it's not at all if you like neil degrasse tyson unfollow me dude, now fam. get out <laughs> like see you dude see you later no no ndt no stephen king yeah stands none of y'all get out absolutely i don't need those toxic people in my life no Honestly. Uh, anyway, yeah, so it was based on that, and, and I don't know, it's, I, I guess I'll let you sort of have the floor here since you've seen it, because that's all the trivia I've got, so you, you did win the trivia, so good on you. Yes. What, what, if anything, do you have to say about this movie? Like, like, I know we've said a lot, for, like, already. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, when, when we got really into talking about Christopher Nolan, I kept thinking, I think he's, <clears throat> this kind of, like, came together in my head, and I don't know how much sense this is gonna make, but I think he's a very objective type of director you know yeah like he doesn't insert a lot of personality into what at least what i've seen him make he just kind of like lets whatever spectacle he's doing on screen just kind of like speak for itself and i think that's a big appeal of this movie it's just like cool to watch um yeah and it's that's that's about it really uh, I'm pretty sure I had like a big long, you know, uh, speech prepared about this, but I think, I think that that's what makes this movie kind of cool to me. It's just, uh, it's not the most, it's not one of my favorites. It doesn't have the most, I've, I've watched a lot of other movies that I like more that have like a whole lot of like personality, but I think, I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this that kind of just like kicks back and. I don't know. You can have a beer while you watch it and just watch them do hmm. cool space shit. <laughs> that's interesting yeah. that you say that because that's not the vibe I get at all from this. However, I think you're completely on point with the whole like with how Nolan directs things. He directs with his head and not with his heart. Yeah, exactly. Is the thing. Exactly. Like yeah. he his movies are v like viscerally realistic and yes. like devoid of yeah. like that sort of emotion because <laughs> His emotion in, in his movies, from what I understand of, of like these newer ones that he's that he's doing and like the ones I've seen, he uses not necessarily emotion to convey things. He uses spectacle, he uses realism, and he uses sort of like that mystery twist, right? Yes. Like he totally. he, he develops a narrative that is not dependent on you liking characters, right? It's not dependent yeah. on you understanding a character. It's just dependent upon you understanding the character's relation to what's happening. Exactly. And yeah, you don't totally. need to. And I get that. I like that because I think that you have that in a lot of other genres. Like you get Westerns, but Westerns are more of a mythological archetype. Whereas you have the movies that are like Nolan's, which are literally, you could replace this character with any other person and the only difference would be how this other person with a slightly different personality would handle the situation because it's about the situation totally. and spectacle. Yeah, totally, totally. And that's that's why I say I think Nolan always makes the same film because what he's doing is he's inserting sort of a, not an everyman, but he's inserting a, a template that does not go from point A to point, he, that goes from point A to point B as a physical entity, but not as a character. Yeah. And you are expressing the two sides. Usually that person or multiple people have two, they usually end up in the same destination, but they have 
completely different outcomes. Yeah, yeah. In in every movie that I've seen with it. And in, in The Dark Knight, it was kind of condensed into one person. I guess at the end you could say that it was the second person was Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like kind of becoming the new Batman. Yeah. But Bruce Wayne had clearly two endings. He had the Bruce Wayne ending and he had the Batman ending. Mm. Uh, in Memento, it was literally like you were watching two different perspectives of the same person. In The Prestige, it was split into Bale's character and Hugh Jackman's character. Same yeah. same trajectory. And they had all of these different things happening and affecting them. And they ended up at the basically the same point but with two different outcomes. And I think that's the movie that Nolan always makes. And it just, his movies are different because of the spectacle that's around them. Yeah. And totally. that's my biggest problem with him is that if you're going to keep doing that, like, I don't know, like, I, I guess good on you if you can make it interesting. It's just, I figured out his formula, I think. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's driving me insane. Cause it's like, do something different. But I get, yeah. I get that filmmakers do the same thing over and over again, and that's what they do. So I'm not yeah. going to really fault him for that. It's just I feel that he always does this, and I think people just say he's revolutionary. He's great, but he's not making movies about characters that you can kind of relate to and enjoy. Yeah. You're just like, oh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say it this way. He's the pretentious intellectual's equivalent of a popcorn flick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like instead of instead of that. kicking back with like you said, instead of kicking back with popcorn, a beer, and some nachos and watching it with your buds, you you pull up some like, you know, Lagavulin fifteen year scotch and a cigar <laughs> yeah. and or not no, not a cigar. You get like a, a pipe and you sit there in a smoking jacket in like this high backed chair with your with your like acquaintance who who you meet at a lodge every once in a while and you just you just never talk and you just sip scotch and you say interesting every few every like every little while and then when you're done you you talk about the theoretical physics and the mathematics behind the movie and then wait what were you saying about that character what character no i'm talking about the, the mathematics you're, it's in it's unfeasible I you're say. like describing like like people who are like constantly like doing an impression of a smart person, basically. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Totally. It's, it's. I could totally see that. It's people who want to make. It, it's not just that. It's the people that want to make themselves feel like they're smart or pretend like they're smart, right? Yeah. But they're watching a totally. popcorn flick because you can watch movies that have like real emotional and intellectual punch mm -hmm. that make you think. I don't like character studies, right? Just pure character studies. Uh huh. But I don't necessarily like just spectacles. I like to have at least a little bit of like, I like to have like a character who not necessarily does something, but I think affects the landscape in a way that's meaningful to the character, but not as the, not as the, the landscape affects the, the, the character in a way that's leaves him the same, but it's also like a different ending. Like, I don't know. I'm saying that kind of in a weird way and I don't think I'm being coherent. And I think if I, if I had more time to really think flesh it out i would but i think that's what my problem with nolan films are is that as nice as they look and i will admit they all look nice that i've seen it just feels like they're too pretentious for their own good and people give them too much credit whereas like i could go watch bad boys 2 yeah and it's it's the same amount of dumb stuff and spectacle but michael <laughs> yeah. bay has a real eye for motion and action yeah <laughs> and i could like watch i could watch that scene of like them in the like the other room having the gunfight between the wall 
like oh, yeah. a million times over before I watch The Prestige again. Just oh, that one yeah. scene, you know? <laughs> I definitely, uh, well, I meant it in a different way, but you definitely have a valid point. I think what you were saying like earlier about how you don't really like follow a character and like get inside their head. You just kind of watch them go from point A to point B, what yeah. you were talking about. I, d- I definitely see it that way. And I mention it because I think it works pretty well for this movie. Uh, I think the fact that he's very like evenly spread, we're not too focused on like one character. I feel like that works for a couple of his movies that I really like. It's that uh, since we're not like doing just like a tr- strict character study anymore, just like he's very, you know, he objectively just kind of like, this is what hap- is what is happening. I'm not going to like do any like insane editing or like camera tricks or anything to like distract you. This is just, you know, the world as it is to me, that makes his movies feel like real places. Like they're really happening. Yeah. It it makes them feel very like grounded in reality. And I think that kind of works, you know, and I, and I feel like if you're going to like anything about this movie, it'll probably be that like the world feels like pretty, like lived in you know that's what i like about the dark knight that's what i like about this one that's yeah. what i like about and, and I'll, I'll agree uh, with you on that point about it because you're right he he does have that that sort of not necessarily world building but he he always makes the world feel like it's real and i think part of it too is that i, I think that christopher nolan would have been and he might have done some but he would be a phenomenal documentarian oh yeah like I think he would honestly, I would probably enjoy his like documentaries that he does better than like if he were to do like Ken Burns style, like American Civil War documentaries, yeah. but like for something else, like, I don't know, the the rise of Somalian pirates or something. I don't know. I'm just throwing yeah. whatever out there like, like that or like the, I don't know, something weird and sci-fi. I don't know. But if he did something like that, I feel like I could enjoy that more because I feel like that pretension of basically creating this world within this world to make this seem the same is just weird to me. I think especially for a medium that is mostly for entertainment and escapism, that he is trying to make something that is as close to real life as possible is interesting. But I think to me that's not as interesting as creating a world where everything is, you know maybe a little weird yeah right i i like movies where things get weird now I, I might like this because in fact it does kind of that where it's like i'm literally taking the the, the world and then i'm making it weird yeah but he's doing it in such a realistic way that i feel like the juxtaposition of traditional cinematic experiences are like all right um you know, hey, we've got this real world, uh, and I guess I can take Who Framed Roger Rabbit as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Y- you have this ultra-realistic, almost kind of like, you know, 1930s style, like San Fran- you know, San Francisco, whatever, wherever, wherever they are. I can't remember what it is, but like LA or whatever it is. Yeah. And then you have like, insert all of these zany tunes, right? Yeah. <laughs> like cartoon characters. And I feel like that's sort of the more traditional thing to do is you have this real thing, and whenever you have the things that are weirdly happening, the visual cue is to do something that's not realistic right yeah but nolan does the opposite of that where it's like everything is hyper realistic and then when things get weird they stay hyper realistic so it's not a visual cue that you're used to in traditional cinema yeah and that's what throws me off about him and maybe it's just because i don't like that 
and maybe it's because I I like the visual cues. But anyway, I, I don't yeah, know. I'm kind of so. talking on my ass on that one. We'll see. I, I'm I'm kind of on the fence about Interstellar. I think out of all the movies that I have kind of seen from Nolan and was even looking at, this is probably the one that I was most excited about, except for maybe Tenet. Because mm-hmm. Tenet looks weird enough that I'm like, okay, that one I could get behind. Yeah. But Interstellar, like it's right on the fence for me you know yeah that that's about all i got so yeah. if you want to wrap it up great uh i'll leave the floor to you and then if you don't have anything else we can rate this yeah what we think it's gonna be i on- i honestly feel like we're kind of at a stalemate anyway i'm sure like we're both finding like drastically different ways to interpret it and appreciate it or not appreciate it so you know i think we're just at a stalemate there like you know so. no that's true and and but i really do like your perspective it is very interesting oh, to I see this from like a from that. like a nolan stan and that's one of the reasons why i'm i'm glad that you you decided to do this this film with me because i'm like oh you've seen it and you like it yeah. this is going to be fun because i don't like nolan and i think that really what this is what this is doing is kind of giving people a good counterpoint to like yeah maybe i probably nolan is better than i give him credit for right but I think also by the same token, realistically, Nolan, I think, doesn't deserve all the hype he gets. And I think it's just because he's doing something different mm-hmm. than has been done in a long time. Mm-hmm. But then again, those tried and true methods of cinema have been like, you know, they're tried and true for a reason. So I don't know. I think I think I could like this movie. I want to like it. Um, so you've seen it. So yeah. what would you before going back into it again, I guess? Um, what do you think you're going to rate it now having seen it um, as far as like just going back and watching it, a, I guess, a second time? I think this is definitely not my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I know for like the first probably third of it, I'm actually not a very big fan of it until they get up into space. And then after they get into space, I think it's way better. So I would probably give it like a 3.5. Oh, OK. Uh, Snake Plissken's. I don't know. I don't know where I'll go on that. I don't know if I could, it could go up or down for me. Yeah. I think going into it with an open mind, I think probably I'll end up somewhere around a three, 3.5. I think I'll, I optimistically, I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's going to have some stuff in it that I like because it's going to do things that I have not seen a Nolan film do before. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still going to have those bones. I'm still going to have the same problems with it. It's just going to depend on the action and, like, if there are some, like, good emotional beats, which, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I've never seen this movie before. Yeah. That's the point of this thing. But I think I'm going to end up at probably a three just simply because I'm. it's not going to overwhelm me with how great it is. But I think I'm going to like it more than not just simply because it's going to look pretty and it's probably going to do some cool stuff that I haven't seen before. Definitely, yeah. I would I would I would say that I would guess that you'd probably like this one a little bit more than the others just because I feel like it's the most straightforward. The ending is pretty is pretty trippy, but I don't I don't think it's very heady as or, or how you described it. And I think with the characters in this movie there's nothing like insanely like trying super hard to like make you think or anything, you know. I think this is just like a pretty like straightforward like good movie. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. If if I come back and I hate it, then I'll, I'll yell at you some more about how Nolan's a hack. But if not, then I'll be like, you know what? Maybe I'm giving Nolan too much of a hard time. So. Hey, hey, man, I'll t- I'll take it either way. So. All right. Cool. <laughs> so with that said, we'll go ahead and watch this movie, and we'll see you on the other side. Peace. It's like we've forgotten who we are now. Explorers, pioneers, not caretakers. We can go out.
go. Go, 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 go. Seven years per hour here. Let's make it count. How did you find this place? You had the coordinates for this facility marked on your map. Where did you get those coordinates? Where's my daughter? Don't make me take you down again. Sit down. 90% wouldn't know, 10% wouldn't know. Love isn't something we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Tell us about your world. Pray you never learn just how good it can be to see another face. Murphy's Law doesn't mean that something's bad, but what it means is that whatever can happen will happen. Maybe it means something more, something we can't yet understand. You're the one who doesn't belong. Born 40 years too late or 40 years too early. Well, we used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down worry about our place in the dirt. We'll be waiting for you when you get back. You have literally raised me from the dead. Lazarus. Hello and welcome back to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm here with AJ. Let's go! All right, yeah. We are back from watching Interstellar, the Christopher Nolan film from 2014. So we, we had a very long, not heated discussion about this, but I think where we both view Nolan as a filmmaker from. Mm-hmm. So... You've seen it before and you're watching it again. This is my first time coming into it. Um, you, noted Nolan fan. Me, noted uh, Nolan uh, disrespecter, I will <laughs> yeah, say. <yeah. laughs> I I disrespect Nolan and his craft. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how'd you feel about it again? Like, re- revisiting it. It is definitely not as fun the second time around. <laughs> I, was, I was, like, shocked. I was... <laughs> I, I got to a certain point where I was like, do I actually just hate this movie? And I've been lying to myself. I knew going into it, this is not my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Yeah, and you gave it a 3.5 out of 5 Snake Pliskins. Yeah, I by think the way. so. Yeah, it's yeah. What you what you oh, oh, yeah. originally gave it, uh, you know, for, as far as going into this. I gave it a 10 of 3 because I was hopeful, right? Yeah. I, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe that rating still stands, but gosh, like the some of the stuff that I didn't like, uh, on my first viewing of this movie, definitely like stood out way more because I think this time around, I knew what scenes in this movie I liked the best. Like the black hole scene is really cool when they're trying to dock the ship; it's really cool stuff like that. And I was just waiting for that to happen <laughs> through all like the other parts of this movie that I don't like. You know, like when the characters are talking. Yeah, <laughs> like, <Did> my <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, and I will say, I. Visually, again, Nolan is stunning. It's great. Oh, yeah. I I think that I enjoyed some of this movie, and I think that I really liked McConaughey, generally speaking. Really? I I think he was actually, like, the way he was portrayed was actually, for the most part, right? I Like, in general terms, I liked his sort of kind of farm boyness. Like, whenever he started talking science, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. But I liked him generally as, like, the sort of, like, down home kind of guy you know like you could have a beer with he he, yeah, I guess. he hit that for me right but the the way i look at this movie have you seen the episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia called flowers for charlie um, where basically they do an experiment with charlie where they basically give him drugs to make him smarter 
but it turns out it was just a placebo the whole time. Oh, I didn't. I don't think I got to that one. Oh man, it's like in season nine or ten or something oh, like yeah, that. I, didn't get, I haven't gotten that it's, far. Season whatever season that is from, that's actually the best season of the entire show, like hands down. Okay. But so highly recommend. Yeah. But. <laughs> That episode at the very end, and I'll spoil this episode, I guess, it turns out that they were just giving them a, a placebo the whole time. And instead of, like, making people smarter, we're just going to, like, study him and, like, how arrogant he becomes. And at the end, he's like, well, did they make him smarter or not? And they're like, no. Have you been paying attention this whole time? He's He's functionally retarded. And then Charlie's like, man... These stupid science bitches couldn't even make I more smarter. <laughs> like, and that's what I felt about this whole movie is that, like, man, as an audience goer, I don't care about the stupid science that you are just that you're just laying thick on me right now. I just want to I just want to see the cool moments and I will suspend my disbelief because that's part of cinema. That's part of the experience. Yeah, it's that. I felt that this movie, and I think I tweeted this out, it's the Neil deGrasse Tyson of movies. Yeah. Because, <laughs> oh, you don't like science? Too bad, bitch. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, it just felt like every time they started doing something cool, they, like, explained it with science. I get that that can be somebody's, like, idea of a fun movie, right? But it's not mine at all. Yeah. Now, I will say... I, like you said, I like the scenes where, like, yeah, where they're going over the black hole mm-hmm. and where they're, you know, the, the ship is spinning wildly out of control and they're docking onto it. Yep. That was really cool. Like, yeah. That was just a phenomenal scene. Great action. Like, you know, it, it was well done. It was pretty tense how they were doing it. It was great. And I just felt like the whole movie should have been instead of a two and a half hour almost three hour long basically weird version of oh man matthew mcconaughey was the ghost all along yeah yeah <laughs> like it was it was you know uh that one movie with with bruce willis and M. night Shyamalan and that kid <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. instead of being that for three hours yeah. it should have been a half an hour long episode of the twilight zone honestly i could see that working yeah because it had a lot of really good story beats that's like, all right, I'm I'm going to, you know, they had a lot of setup and it's like, you know, they could have just done like a half an hour, even like a 45 minute episode of the Twilight Zone where like, I go and I do this thing, I leave my family behind and now, oh, the twist as it turns out, I'm the ghost that made myself leave and my children like are able to like, you know, use those clues to create this advanced civilization, right? Mm-hmm. And that would have fit perfectly in an episode of The Twilight Zone, I feel. But it's just Nolan felt like the whole thing had to be such a big spectacle that it just took me out of the whole rhythm of the movie. Like, And I get like you're supposed to sort of be on this ride with them. But like they even didn't explain like, like um what's his face a uh, Topher Grace's character like where who where did he even come from like the the dude who was with um uh oh, Murph yeah yeah like who who even was this guy like dude. he's he seems important but he's not yeah, I thought I was gonna catch that on a second viewing and I didn't no like I don't know where he comes from or what he does yeah and the other thing too is that like they set it up this whole time like he's such a good family man. And, like, you know, I get that they, like, lied to him so that he would go into space, right? Yeah. And that's a whole big part of the movie where they're, like, trying to do it. But, like, I feel like they set him up to be such a, like, a good 
protective father that it didn't necessarily make sense. Like, I feel like they had to have done, like, if Murph was just so vehemently against all of this happening, I don't feel like, like, yeah, he seemed like a good down-home country boy who's like, I'm not going to leave my family and I'm going to watch them. Someone else can do this. But, like, yeah, I guess I, I know he was being boozled, right? Just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just felt like it was so disjointed. And then the ending was one of these things where it's like, it felt, I don't know what I feel about the ending. The ending was like, okay, cool. This is cool. I'm in this black hole, but it's not a black hole because it's some future civilization that I understand. It's not some deity. It's not some weird aliens. It's us in the future. Ha ha. Yeah, it's like, it's like a tesseract created by human beings in the future because they yeah. know somehow that he has to be there at this time like yeah how do you know this i don't like, know where are your inferences coming <laughs> yeah. from you stupid science bitch yeah that's honestly like one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie like i think that scene alone makes the movie almost worth watching and even then i'm like some of you could probably make there's probably an argument to be made where like some of this time travel shit does not make any sense. Like, it's yeah. weird. The, the narrative, I feel like, doesn't make sense. But, like, I, I think that's the name of the game with this movie, is it's cool, right? Yeah, yeah. You get some flavor of, like, all right, there's this apocalypse happening, what happened before the world. But, like, there's so many plot holes that, like, they just have throwaway lines for. And it's like, you know, oh, there are no soldiers anymore. Why? Like... <laughs> Yeah. I don't understand mm-hmm. that. Everyone seems to be living in relative harmony, but, like, there's only corn now. Yeah, there's, like, and there's hardly even any corn left. Oh, God. You know what this is? This whole movie is that they've forgotten because they don't have the records for it, but this movie is actually just a repeating chain of events. Like, the ending of the movie is, like, you know, 500 years from the beginning of the movie, and it's in a loop. Except in the meantime, what happened was, instead of the the chick character uh basically founding this world it was actually rick from rick and morty but they settled on cob world and stayed there uh yeah (laughs) and and they didn't realize that it was always corn you know like that meme where it's like astronaut holding gun oh it's always it's all ohio always has been yeah like no it's it's only corn Always has been. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that would be a great explanation. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like, I, I I, don't know. I I enjoyed some of it. I don't know what people generally say about this movie. If it's like his weakest one. I, I get the I, the feeling that like a lot of people like really sucked on his chode for this movie a lot. And they, they think mm. it's great. Yeah. I really don't know because I don't go into like I assume that there's like 4chan and reddit forums that are just like literally all about how people want to like carry Christopher Nolan's seed within them because they love him so much Yeah, but like in those forums I don't know what, what like the general populace's opinion of Interstellar is and I feel like I feel like this movie tricks again like I mentioned before this movie more so than the other movies do like I've seen The Prestige I, I actually this made me think the prestige was better, honestly. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh man, I actually have much more of a fondness for the prestige now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh and I'm like, I appreciate that. This movie I feel like is just it really was Nolan just tricking people into like, ah, here's the twist. And we've talked about science so much that we've just done this like magic trick. You we were watching the prestige the whole time, except we we're doing it on a meta level where 
I've done the bamboozle to you where I you think that this movie's great and it's actually just <laughs> a bunch of cool set pieces that are kind of incoherently strung along by string theory science. Yeah, and then like one like decent twist at the end. Yeah. Yeah, which I mean I have to say my my bones to pick with that are I didn't realize what was happening because I think the narrative was so convoluted at first. Like you didn't realize that there was a they were like they're saying oh there's a ghost here. They didn't show it well enough to like be like oh there's this ghost that's like hitting books off my shelf, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that until probably halfway through the movie where it's like yeah. wait a minute. And then when I realized it I'm like oh Matthew McConaughey's the ghost right yeah and i'm like i don't like no that's not fair let's let's just be reasonable about this for a minute it could be a different twist he's not shamalaning this yet and then i was so disappointed even though as cool as the tesseract scene was like it's a very visually stunning scene like it's Mm -hmm. it's great from a visual standpoint it's just like i'm sitting there like really Really? Yeah. Really? Bruce Willis was the ghost all along. Yeah. Cool. Shyamalan did this. He's already done this. I don't need to see this again. Yeah, Could you yeah. have done something else? Like, oh, it was like, I, I don't know. I I don't know what I was expecting. Like from Arrested <laughs> yeah. Development oh, or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Like, dude, I, I just don't know what I was expecting with that. Because I wanted it to be something more like, like to hit you harder or like to leave a mystery. But it's like, no, they just all the mystery that they had in the movie was just scienced away with, ah, I'm pushing up my glasses now and telling you what the explanation is. Yeah. That, that's what I thought it was. I think that, I think that's why the Tesseract part is my favorite bit is because that, that's the one that's like the least explained. It, uh, almost, you know, because, uh, who's the robot guy in that scene? I oh, uh, Tars. Yeah, yeah. Tars. Uh, who's played by, and I don't remember now. Who's... It's like Bill something. <sighs> I'm gonna look here, uh, but but go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. find it here. Uh, you know the robot just like offhandedly explains like yeah these are probably human or actually I think it's I think it's a uh, Cooper. Uh, he's like yeah these are probably like humans from far far away in the future where we understand like fourth and fifth dimensional space. I think that stuff was more interesting to me because there there is that mystery there. It's not it. You know, you literally cannot explain that, really, because it's it's something that we just like don't we can't like comprehend or understand. You know, so yeah. I I think that's why that's my favorite bit of the movie is because that feels the most like open and like you know unknown. You know, like space kind of is. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is like the wonder that you get with something like a Star Trek, right? Is like it's the final frontier, right? We don't know what's out there. We're exploring it. Yeah. This felt like, like, yeah, we don't know what's out there, but we know how to explain it already. Kinda. In, I mean, in a I certain the, way. The Whereas, only, like, the only thing that they don't understand is like uh, they don't know if the planets are truly inhabitable or habitable. You know, which I mean, even then they have a system which can be easily exploited, obviously, for you know finding out if they are. Uh, but I think like the trip there, they're like, oh yeah, you're going to go through a wormhole. There's a black hole. Like they explain how the trip is going to go. So, you know, there's, you already kind of know. Well, you have an expectation. That they yeah. You have yeah. an expectation. Yeah. It's interesting to watch them get there. I think you're right. Is that it took what should have been a fun exploration movie with a good twist. And I think a lot of the over explaining basically made it so that it was less fun. 
Yeah. Like, I think that you could really enjoy this movie if your bag is like, I, I love all of this science stuff. I love getting answers from movies. And, like, it, it did leave stuff semi-open. Now, I think at the very end, like, where they're like, I know what this is. Like, it's it's a gut, but it's like, obviously they're saying it like as a gut feeling, but it's like, it felt too sure of themselves. Like, TARS yeah. and them. I like that they left it open, like, maybe it's some future world that we've created for ourselves. It's not, it's always been us this whole time, because the Tesseract is a microcosm of what's happening to him, right? Yeah. It's except on a human, like, a scale of cosmic humanity throughout, like, from time immemorial, right? Yeah. That's the Tesseract. The Tesseract is the human experience that we're basically looking back. It's essentially like 2020 vision, right? Mm-hmm. Is what it is. And... The whole point of it, I, I think, is to leave it open as to how we get there. But I think that they even over-explain that a little bit too much. But yeah, you're right. I think that was one of the coolest bits. If you take out, I guess, like the bits with like weird Topher Grace and like they're like who's never explained as to why he's there. And he's, I guess, a doctor somehow. And he's telling people to leave. And like Casey Affleck really just is the son who you don't really care about because like they don't really play up his character at yeah, all. They, like, yeah, that's the unfortunate consequence of the time skip is just all these new people just show up or like change inadvertently, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because you think that Casey Affleck, his character um, uh, of Tom is going to be much more relevant to the story. But at the very end, it's like, it would have been about the same as if he had never existed. Yeah, pretty much. Because you think like, yeah, he's the one who's actually keeping in touch and keeping, you know, sending all these messages out. And eventually like he stops but, like, you think it's going to come back at some point, and it just doesn't, other than he gets angry and is bitter, right? Yeah, barely. And then, like, at the end, when uh, Murph finds out, like, it's it's Cooper talking to them, he has a moment where he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, where like, it's like she comes in, and, like, <laughs> and like Topher Grace is sitting there, who's still never explained as to who he is, because they set his corn on fire, and he has to go put it out to make a distraction. It took me so long to figure out that's why they set that on fire. Like, (laughs) why are they doing this? And then it, like, dawned on me, like, eventually when he has the tire iron in his hand, ready to, like, I guess, kill Casey Affleck's character Tom, like, she comes out and is like, oh, no, Dad talked to us the whole time. It was him all along. And then she hugs him and Casey Affleck's like, they're like, what the fuck? (laughs) You guys just burned my shit. I don't even know who this guy is. You're putting my family in the car, and now you're telling me my our dad, who I thought is long dead, is talking to us through like a, the fourth dimension or he's something. Been, and he's been talking to us like he's, since we were kids. Yeah, he's truly the most grounded character in the whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like he's a simple man eking out a simple living as a simple farmer and all of this is just lost on him like (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's just i feel bad for him because it's like he lost his dad like and he kind of expected it yeah and he lived he was living with it and i think that like murph just made his life even harder yeah definitely especially with the uh the, the the kid dying bit i was like man that's too far <laughs> like that's, it's like man come on up. just like I, I get like everyone's dying right like literally yeah. everyone on this planet is dying <laughs> it's like what do you want me to do make the dust storm stop <laughs> like <what>? yeah <laughs> i can't I think, move i have to grow this corn you know that's the only thing that's keeping humanity afloat <laughs> it's like where are we going to move <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's nowhere to go <laughs> It's like, I'm just, and like, I think you get a sense of that is like Casey Affleck's Tom is actually just happy 
to die living on that farm that he's always lived on with his family until the day that he dies or the or whenever the earth goes away like you get the sense of like that's the character i wanted to see more of is like just this guy who is resolved the human spirit of like like i guess yeah this whole movie is about the human spirit right yeah but it's they they make the 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 humble farmer look kind of like I think they they kind of make fun of Casey Affleck's character in a way because they're like at the end of the movie the moral is like especially when they have the the house on the space station right and everything and he's like I don't want this because I want to be out there among the stars that's the human spirit is exploring yeah when in reality that's only part of it because the other part of the human spirit is the down in the earth stubborn. I will never leave this earth, even if it kills me, stubbornness, hardiness of man who is like, I will find a way and I'm not going out there to find answers. I'm going to stay here and make it work. Yeah. Because I think they downplayed that to such an extent that it felt like they were almost making fun of it in a way. Yeah. Casey Affleck's character should have just been the main character. That would have been funny. I would like to see the movie from his perspective, honestly, like more so. I feel like you almost get some of that from from Cooper, Matthew McConaughey's character, but it's so inconsistent. Like at first he's like, he's like, uh, he's arguing with these like school people about, you know, Murph. And he's like, mm, remember when people used to like space? It's like, oh, it's especially I, I love the I love that bit where it's like, oh, no, the official textbooks now are that we actually never did go to the moon <laughs> yeah. because I guess it's just been revealed that that's the way. And he's like, no, we have to have it so that we have this wonder and go into space. It's like, <laughs> dude, like the teacher's like, calm down. You, OK, you weren't there. All right. Chill out. And they didn't go so far as to say it, but it's like, yeah, we probably have these cl- unclass- declassified documents that Kubrick actually did fake the moon landing, you piece of garbage. Like, shut <laughs> yeah. shut up and just, I know you want to trust the science, but this yeah. is, it's all been faked <laughs> ever since day one. It literally just replaced his character with Neil deGrasse Tyson at that moment. Like, <laughs> it's like, calm down. Okay, you weren't on the team that went there. All right, calm down. Who are you it's, white knighting for? They're like, long dead. It's like, Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> and so we go from that scene where he's arguing with them to like another where Dr. or Professor, what's his face? Oh yeah, Michael Caine's character. Yeah, Michael Caine's character. He's like, hey, uh, we're going to go like find another planet to live on. Someplace to chill. I don't know. Have a couple brewskis, maybe grill. I just want a planet where I can grill. <laughs> I don't know. And then all of a sudden he just like flips back and he's like, mm, why don't we, why aren't we focusing on this ball of dirt that we live on? It's like, dude, what do you want? Like you want to save the planet, but you don't want to leave. You want to fix the earth, but you also want us to travel to the stuff. I don't know. What are you motivated by at all? Other than like, you like your kid. Yeah. Like, he wants to it. save his kids, which realistically what he should have done is just like, brought them on the spaceship i guess if that's if that's really what he wanted and he he really thought he either should have brought the kids on the ship if he really thought that life was ending here yeah right he should have stayed and lived out his days and tried to make the world a better place how he could right yeah like it just felt like yeah you're right the motivation was always just not it was inconsistent yeah right the whole time it's professor brand was um uh, Michael Caine's right, character right. and actually that's the other thing too right is that so they get these coordinates right from future ghost self uh-huh. right and then they spent they have this like really cool sort of like moment where it's like oh we're like driving to this place it's this weird mystery and then they get there and then you find out there's this jarring moment where it's literally just a whole bunch of people that he used to work with and it's yeah. like what are you doing here 
what are you doing here? Who are you? Oh, wait, no, I've known you, like, for years. It's just yeah. we haven't seen each other. What is this place? It's NASA. What? I guess the implication is that, like, they didn't know where Cooper was. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, everyone knew that Cooper existed because he's out here doing, like, all this technical stuff in this town. Yeah. Like, he's not hiding. Yeah, exactly. That that was actually And, like, really he's in the databases is like, yeah, your kid's gonna be a farmer. We're already, like, putting him in the roles as, like, a farmer. Yeah. Like, you know, like, okay, Tom Cooper, okay, and his father, like... Coop Cooper? I don't know. I don't even know what his name is. It's just Coop. Uh, Like, you know that this man exists. (laughs) Yeah. And you're, like, surprised that he's here and surprised that he exists. And he's, like, it's just the coincidence. Like, even for this, like, the, the suspension of disbelief in me that I was willing to give this movie, that they were willing to just explain. The things that they explained were things that I was willing to take suspension of disbelief on. Yeah. The things that I had to take suspension of disbelief on were things that, like, they could have easily explained. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> like, oh no, Coop went into hiding, right? Yeah. And then they didn't know he existed, and then, like, NASA was officially gone. He thought everyone was dead. And yeah. they thought he was dead. Especially, like, especially since, like, he gets there, and um, he gets there, and immediately they're like, hey, do you want to, like, pilot this ship that's going to, like, save the entire human race? Because uh, you're the best pilot we've ever had. It's like, why didn't you ask him? Before? Like, you waited for him to, like, find this place just by chance. Did you never contact him or yeah, try to and it, at all? They just it's, leave it. It's so strange. It, it was it, such a weird moment. It's bizarre. I, man, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'm complaining about this movie a lot. And there were things that I did like about it. But I think that, honestly, the things that I, that I would talk about it are the things that, like, Nolan is already good at, right? It's yeah. The, like the practical sets and effects that he uses, like especially like the scene where they're they're trying to dock and then the, the thing is spinning out of control. Like that's so cool. Yeah. Like the visuals Ooh, yeah. of the like the landscapes were cool. I think honestly, my and I'll say this, my favorite scene I think was the one where they were on the water planet with the waves. Yeah. That one might have been my favorite one. The <laughs> Tesseract was pretty cool and I liked how they kind of like did that. That's why I think I liked it that much because, you know, the waves there, like they were like, oh, we're on this planet that is like really close to this like black hole mm-hmm. and it's affecting the gravity. Right. And yeah. there's like this thing. Well, they didn't explain over explain like they normally would in the rest of the movie. Yeah. The the gravity of like, you know, how the moon works. Well, OK, the moon's fake, but whatever. Yeah. Like and we were never there. But in real life, unironically. Unironically. Hilarious. Unironically. <laughs> Believe uh, every conspiracy theory. <laughs> yes. Um, but, like, how waves work on the planet here, allegedly, is that the moon basically affects the gravity and creates waves. Yeah. Well, if they're that close to a black hole, which is this gravitational anomaly that it pulls things into it, yeah, they have these black, these giant waves, and they get onto this planet. You see the disaster coming from a mile away, and then you're like, what is that? Is that mountains? And they're like, no, it's a wave. And you instantly know. Like, they should have known, these dumb bitches. Yeah, like, <laughs> They should have known. And that's the coolest thing where it's like, yeah, they do this, like, it almost turns into, like, this, like, shipwreck movie for a second where they, like, lose the other scientist, and they, like... Oh, like every hour on here is, you know, seven hours on Earth and we're, you know, stuck here for like hours and like, oh my God, it's so awful. And like the emotional impact of that scene afterwards is kind of like pretty decent. But like that whole scene is just so cool and what like the implications are of it because they don't explain it to you. They just, they're just acting on human emotion, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's the thing is that Nolan, again, he just doesn't, 
do human emotion, he does cool visuals. And I think that was a cool visual that happened to have a little bit more heart to it because it felt more like a disaster film that they were trying to get out of. Mm. I I think that's why I was going to say this earlier. I think that's why I really don't like it when they just sit around and talk and like explain things. Cause I think normally in a movie I can appreciate when like characters can play really well off each other and like explain a plan and how they're going to work out an issue uh, and, you know, their, their voices really come into play and how they talk about it and debate over it. Like, I think the Dark Knight, uh, I'm sure there's at least an example somewhere in there of Christopher Nolan doing it well. But I think the big problem for me is, is that I don't like any of the characters in this movie. Like, none of them really like, No, I, I think the only one that I really liked was probably maybe Murph. Even, But then at the end, she kind of, like, I don't know, she just kind of does like whatever yeah she like i don't know she like fucks around in her childhood room and just figures it out it's like i figured it out now like yeah i like i like young murph right yeah i think young murph was the and and actually probably the grandfather played by john lithgow probably the the two best characters in the movie that were the most like likable and had the most heart and then after that it was like you're kind of getting muddling characters that are like no one you don't have necessarily this strong connection to other than like, yeah, you feel bad for this guy who is just watching his, his children age. Yeah. Like, but you don't feel like you never, like you said, the dialogue, you never go get a good back and forth because it all feels so wooden because it's so clinical and scientific. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a, a good counter example, right? The, the opposite of this. And I, I like dialogue in a movie. Like, I will watch a movie where someone explains something as long as it's done well, right? Yeah. So think about any Quentin Tarantino movie you've ever seen, right? Uh, and okay. how he does dialogue, right? You, you, you talk about so much and so little all at the same time. But those things, it's like you get a sense of who the character is, right? From all that talking. Yeah. Whereas this movie, you get a sense of what's happening in the over... In the plot, but you don't get a sense of the characters. And I feel like there were scenes... Where, and it might have been intentional even, that Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey's characters felt so wooden. And I think it might have been because they were trying to act that way because they were trying to keep it scientific, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas in like, you know, you know, you get the opening monologue and, and sequence from, you know, uh, like even Inglorious Bastards or like you get any of the conversations from Pulp Fiction, you get like... Reservoir Dogs, you get Bill explaining at the end, like, about Superman, right, to, you know, before she does the five-finger uh, five finger, uh, heart palm technique on him and kills Bill, like, at the end of Kill Bill, yeah, right? Yeah. You get all those moments where it's just, like, you get these per- these people talking and droning on about something that's not even related to the movie, right? Like, oh, I don't tip, or, like, oh, Madonna, it's, like, it's, it's this, they're talking about Madonna and not yeah. tipping and stuff like that. It doesn't further the plot at all. But, but it does give you yeah. a sense of who the character was, and this movie was missing that entirely. Yeah, because they're you know they're like interesting people, and you just like to hear them talk because they're interesting. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just like sit down and uh, I listen to like Cooper and Doctor uh, Anne Hathaway's character. I, I've already <laughs> forgotten about it. I've it's, already it's forgotten. So Maybe, yeah, uh, Doctor Brand. Yeah, there's Dr. Professor Brand, Brand and Doctor Brand. I don't know. They talk about how like love transcends time and space because. And Hathaway has a guy that she likes, and uh, Matthew McConaughey has his family, and I'm just like, I like this is so uninteresting to me. Like, I it's so yeah. They talked about love boring. in a scientific way, like, dude, yeah. just it's shit like that that comes out of nowhere that I'm like, I can't even tell who these people are supposed to be. 
it's so strange. Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, though, Matt Damon's character actually was more complex yeah. than any of them. Oh, yeah. I felt much more compelled by him as, like, in his motivations. Yeah. Because he's, like, explaining this weird philosophy as they're fighting. Yeah. And it's, like, it's dumb but like i it's more compelling than anything else that anyone's yeah, done so it, it's, far honestly just his speech is like just so like as you listen to him go and you and you realize like how he's like justifying his actions to himself that's really cool even like when he escapes with the ship and he's like explaining how he's going to quote unquote complete the mission his character his conflict is is cool hearing him like justify his own actions is just so interesting and I mean that's a good like ten scene too overall you know that just adds to it but yeah, yeah his his character is like one of the best I think in the whole movie I, I think it is honestly like yeah to add to like you know young Murph and John Lithgow's you know character the dad but like yeah even so Matt Damon's character they they had moments where he's just over explaining the philosophy as he's as they're fighting yeah like or even as he's walking <laughs> I, I think not even yeah. as they're fighting I think the fighting it's it's kind of like. I can take it or leave it. I think it's as he's walking away and he's doing this weird half internal, half external monologue to Cooper about why he's walking away. I thought I could, I thought I could do this to you and here's why I'm doing it. Yeah. It's cool to see his motivation, but they could have done it in like half the dialogue. Yeah, I guess so. And it could have just been this like tense scene of like physical violence that just, it, it didn't feel and I guess this goes back to my beef with, with Nolan as a good editor, but bad visual, like, like he's bad at capturing action. The fight scene didn't feel good. It just, it was tense because of Damon's character. Yeah. It was not tense because of like these, like people rolling around on this alien planet. Like it it just didn't, it wasn't great. And then like they over explained stuff, but it was great because Damon, really Damon's character came to fruition like in that the fact that he just turned off all the comms and went up and opened the airlock even though like like I think in the back of his mind he knew he that was going to happen but I think it was the overriding emotional influence of he has to get to the ship to take over it because he needs to he's singularly driven by the mission and yeah. that was his character which uh-huh. it, it was fleshed out in that like half an hour sequence of just him was it even that long like it may have been even been like, just twenty it's, minutes. It's like short film length. Yeah, it's like it's crazy. Yeah, so his character was so well thought out, and honestly, that's the other thing too. I actually like the robots better. Dude, the robots are cool. The robots they, were cool. The robots have like got some charm that the other characters like don't have. Yeah, it's like all these like science dorks hanging around, and the robots are the cool guys. <laughs> they have like programmed the robots to be cool. It's like, this, what's your humor setting? Universe yeah. of, like boring people. <laughs> it's like, what's your humor setting? A hundred percent. Well, that's too funny for this movie. Let's back it back down a bit. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I love the dark humor moments where it's like, I, I can't remember what's the one joke that they really had where it's like, at the very end where he's putting him together again, he's like, self-destruct sequence in 10 9 all right let's take that back down to 65 percent like <laughs> the robots were funnier than any of the humans in this movie at all oh yeah i like the robots way better than than cooper Tug- and yeah anybody you know what that's actually that's a hundred percent like what my thought on this so and i think we mentioned this in the first half i don't think you'd seen it but moon right i you remember me mentioning oh yeah moon? i've seen moon yeah. oh you've seen moon okay yeah. i couldn't remember if you did or not 
the the play in that because they go into a little bit of science here and there yeah but like it's it's sam rockwell who's already just a he's a great actor and a funny guy playing off of the ship's computer kevin spacey and i i like i think that when you get those charming robots on ships or, or robots that you have like i mean even like um another one that that was recent have you seen um rogue one uh, yeah, I saw it when it came out, I think. Okay, so that's one of the only new Star Wars that I've seen other than, like, the first one of the the series, I guess, where they were uh, rebooting the them. sequel trilogy, I think Yeah, the sequel it. trilogy. The first one of that, and then The Last Jedi. Those are the only two new Star Wars things I've seen. Rogue One, all of the main characters were awful and wooden, just in the same way that they were, except for the robot. The robot's the best character. The robot, and then, obvi- and then Donnie Yen, who is blind. Oh, like, yeah, that guy's cool. <laughs> yeah, but, like, the robot... Who's played by Alan Tyduck, by the way. Alan Tyduck, shout out to him, because like I love him in anything he's in. But like yeah. he had this just charisma that this robot had that none of the human characters ever caught. And that's the thing, like Tars, even Matt Damon, who kind of went crazy, and like you get like this little kid who traditionally the kids are not really like good, like generally like they kind of like miss a lot of that. Yeah. Like those were the best parts of the movie when it came to like an emotional impact. And the rest of it was just like, I don't know who these characters are. Yeah. It's it's them just like talking about, you know, the human spirit and like, you know, saving the earth and what they're going to do next 24-7. I, I think those characters, when they're on screen, it really gives the movie like a moment to breathe, you know? Yeah. When realistically, the human spirit was more embodied by the robot yeah. than well, anything else. I guess so, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, he, he, the robot kept a sense of humor and decorum the whole time, but, like, is like, you know what? Like, I know, like, you know, it's my job. Like, he sacrificed himself, like, knowing that he would just be in the void infinitely, like, or, like, either infinitely until he deactivated or just infinitely, continually. Like, I'm, I need to save these people because that's what humanity is. It's, yeah. I'm, I need to make the sacrifice. And I guess Matthew McConaughey did it too at the very end, like when you see like, all right, not the very end, but like, you know, when he's willing to go into the back black hole, but like, yeah, he and Tars make the ultimate sacrifice. But like, the difference is, is that Tars the whole time was like, he was more human the whole time because he had a sense of humor. He like, like, and he even rescued people, right? Yeah, yeah. More than Matthew McConaughey really ever did or like yeah. any of the other characters did. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. He's yeah. He's definitely like the most charming character. Yeah, that's that's. I've never even thought about that before. But yeah, that makes a lot. Mo- that I mean, it makes sense now why I like the robots better than uh, the people in this movie. I've always felt that way. But you know, now that you say that, I'm like, there's so much more in like tone with, I guess that theme of the of the film. Yeah. Yeah, and while I guess technically like the robot can't really feel love. I mean, he's programmed to kind of. He can be programmed to feel that love. Yeah. And I guess I, th- I think they even make a mention of that at some point in there in the movie. But like when you boil like stuff, concepts like love, especially down to a scientific concept and ones and zeros and binary. Yeah. Went like they were doing and trying to rationalize it that way. I think that you take something away from the humanness of a thing because like love really isn't. And I think they get it wrong, too, even from my experience, like, you know, Love isn't necessarily all of this. It's not this quantifiable thing. It's also like, it's hard work. Yeah. Being in love with someone. Like, oh, yeah. 
or just loving someone unconditionally, right? Like it's hard work because people constantly fuck up. You fuck up, but you still have to, you know, like, you know, with the kid or with the spouse or with the girlfriend or like even with parents or, or like, you know, siblings, right? Any of those things, you have these things that you like, these people in relationships. And if you start quantifying it, I think you lose something of your just human nature where then like it just feels not as good yeah you you like quantify it or like in this movie you act like it's some kind of uh omnipotent like force or something you know yeah it, it takes away you know a lot of the human aspect of it yeah i agree i don't know i like i said i i absolutely love some of the scenes in this movie but i think the movie frustrated me more than anything with the story and how it played out because like again i just i saw a lot of it coming you know, the characters didn't do it for me and, and like it just, the motivations were unclear and there were so many plot holes that I'm just like, wait, wait just a damn minute here. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you please not? And then like, I, like the ending, like it was supposed to be this emotional gut punch. And then it's like at the end, like, all right, you've spent this whole time waiting, waiting to see me. And then it's like, oh, I'm glad to see you, but I'm dying. You should leave. Yeah. What, what? That was such a weird, because honestly, when I was, when I was about to, when I was about to turn it on and like watch it again, I, I, I legit had that thought where I was like, doesn't like, doesn't Cooper see his daughter after like years and years and she's like on her deathbed and he just like dips out and he's like, all right, peace. He's like, <laughs> like I did it. Peace. Yeah. I mean, I it's said- like, it's funny because she's like, no parent should have to bury their child like in the Lord of the Rings. Where Theoden is there at the funeral of his son and he breaks down. No parent should ever have to bury their child. And he breaks down at this like really amazing set piece funeral yeah. and you feel for him, right? You're just like, man, you're getting me in the feels. Like I'm, I'm tearing up here, man. Yeah. This is where the, this is where the men cry. Exactly. And the boys like, the boys become men and then they cry. <laughs> yeah. This one was like, I am a one dimensional character. No parent should have to bury their child. And like, instead of people like being there and mourning and like you seeing him have to carry the weight of like what he's done, like even though he saved humanity, he couldn't save his own daughter or at least see her grow up. Yeah. Like Theoden, like he takes that, he turns his L into a W, right? He takes it and he's like, I'm going to restore my kingdom and and basically make sure this doesn't happen again. I'm going to take this and make it drive me. I'm going to die on the sword defending humanity from orcs. He's like, yeah, like, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to take my son's death and make it mean something. Mm -hmm. I think you do that too in interstellar, but at the same time, it just feels like, like you're right. He's like, Oh, peace. I'm going to go hang out with this chick. Who's like by herself. I I need to get some pussy or something. <laughs> Look, man, it's been years. I'm 124 years old. If you think about it, I've been blued bald for at least 100 years. Like, like that robot was starting to look pretty good, not yeah, gonna lie. Yeah. He's got a USB port in the back I was thinking about using. <laughs> but yeah, he just, I don't he know. He just straight he, up dips. Instead of like having that scene where it was like, like she's like, no parents should have to bury their child. And he's like, and he's like, instead of having this moment where like, no, I'm going to stick here to the end and then goes off and uses that death. Yeah. He's just like, it's, oh, peace. All right, cool. It's so weird. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really feel, it doesn't look like he feels a lot of remorse, you know? Like, no, he doesn't. Like it's, it's, it sucks. You know, after, 
I guess, like, at that point, he knows, like, when I get back, yeah, the world's gonna be safe, but my daughter's gonna be old as shit. But, you know, it doesn't really feel like that sinks in at any point, and he doesn't, like, stay to be like, hey, you know, uh, I guess I'm your guys' like, great-grandfather or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah like, that's say, the other thing, too. And, like, like, say hey to anybody. He just, he just leaves. He it's just, like, he, he just, just straight up dips on all of them. He's like, oh, you know what? It's really good to see all of you guys. Like, yeah. you know what? It's You're my great-great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren even, probably some of you, but yeah. you know what? I need to go out and get a pack of smokes. And he goes <laughs> yeah. out to the store, grabs some smokes, and steals a spaceship just so he can get some, <laughs> yeah. get some of that I guess at this point, alien poon like <laughs> alien, but yeah, alien poon, In, <laughs> invader coochie. <laughs> yeah, it sucks too because there's probably potential there to do like a cool scene where they look at him and they don't, they don't understand like who they're looking at. Like at that point, they're not even looking at a person. They're like, you're the dude that like saved the planet, and you're from like you're basically like a time traveler, and you know him and his now extended family cannot relate to each other at all and that could also be like a huge weight born on him and then you know they just don't really do anything with it it's he just see that could have been a movie in and of itself right yeah like that that whole thing like they basically just like said peace to this whole subplot where like honestly and i'm glad they didn't but they could have gone on for another hour yeah yeah honestly i think that it really what it should have ended how it should have ended is there should have been like I can't quit you. I ain't going to leave you. Like they, like she, he basically <laughs> stays there until she dies. And then you see basically just instead of all that, like other stuff happening, you literally just see like Anne Hathaway on this like place. And, you know, and it looks like, you know, she's going to either, you know, you know, kill herself or something like that. And then he shows up right behind her. Like, Hey, I'm here. And then like, Oh, cool. Oh shit, he saved her life too. And like, yeah, oh, now yeah. they're going to go off and have like little babies on this planet and like raise <laughs> yeah, all yeah. these like fertilized eggs and they'll be like it'll be like this weird new thing. Like yeah. it, it, that would have been more emotionally impactful where it's like he's using the death that he saw and like this like he's cuz basically you imagine like in that tesseract cuz it had been so long, you imagine that he basically saw her entire life growing up uh, up until the point where basically she left the house right yeah and then he saw like oh his son's life you know growing up in that house right Mm -hmm. or at least whenever they went into that room and then it just like he was able to like basically live and see that and then he's like all right i'm gonna see this to the end but then he just like nah later it just it fell so flat for me yeah yeah i guess the only word i have for it is like unfocused or something if i feel like there's so much stuff that they wanted to do uh with his character and, and his relationships with his family and it just doesn't as soon as they go into space it's like you know you might as well not even care about it anymore yeah i, I think i don't know I, I think you're right and like i said there there were a lot of cool things i think the beginning and the end with with the exception of a few things in the end like basically where he's on the farm and then he starts going up into space everything in between that is really cool like where he's in space yeah i think there's a lot of cool exploration stuff other than like i i did zone out like all right, they're talking about science again. Like, just wake me up when it's time to start caring again. Like, yeah. <laughs> or when there's something cool happening. But I think it could have been a really great Twilight Zone episode. Like, that they just like, you know, oh, here's the twist in the end. It was him the whole time. And humanity has like, humanity's created this black hole so he could come back. And it's this infinite loop of like, him living this life over and over again. Like, ah, oh, it's cool. Yeah. But it was just, it's just, it was drug out so long that it just, 
Yeah. It's just it, frustrated it me. It feels its length. Yeah, definitely. It did. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else you want to say about this movie? I feel like we've, we've droned on about it a lot. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I've got nothing. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, I was looking at it as a 3, and you were looking at it as a 3.5. What On a scale of 0 to 5 Snake Pliskins, where are we at it now? I think a 3. I'm going to bump it down to a... I'm going to knock it down to a 3. I, I think that's still generally positive, which I'm okay with, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's not, it's, I didn't like it as much as I remembered, you know? Yeah, I I thought I I would. I was optimistic about it, but I think that I was already kind of colored knowing a lot of, like, what I don't like about Nolan, and I think it bugged me more so that, like, he's just doubling down on all the things I don't like. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I, I begrudgingly, because I think this I liked more, because again, I, I just couldn't sit through Inception. I think that this had a lot more cool stuff that I wanted from a movie. Like, I like the space exploration. I like the sci-fi stuff. Yeah. It had a lot of cool, like, post-apocalyptic vibes. It was cool, but, like, it was just infuriating to sit through. And I didn't like any of the characters very much, with the a few exceptions, like we mentioned. I think I'm going to mm-hmm. bump it down to a two. Like, I probably would never watch this again. But... I'm glad I did in a sense that like I got to see what it was and what all the hype was about and I got to see the cool scenes for what they were. Yeah, like they yeah, were cool scenes. Definitely. I'd go back and watch some of the cool scenes again. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't watch sit and watch the whole movie. Yeah. So I think I think I'm going to go with just, the two where it was just like it's in, it's hard for me to watch just because it infuriated me with how unemotional the characters were, at least the emotional impact that they had and the uh, actual like just the plot holes man it just yeah. got me mm-hmm. anyway so i'm gonna give it a two two out of five snake yeah. pluskins which is honestly like i said I, I think that's probably good for me that's still optimistic i like coming into this i would have probably just say like you know i'll just shit on nolan all day long but i will begrudgingly give him he is good at editing and he's good at visuals right yeah. maybe not capturing action but he's good at spectacle yeah definitely yeah. So, and the soundtrack was actually pretty okay. Yeah, the soundtrack was sweet. It was sweet. Yeah. I like the soundtrack. I'm not going to ask you about what to pair this movie with because I, <clears throat> I'm not going to, actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm not going to ask you the question, but you can feel free to answer it. Uh, just plan it, uh, pair it, uh, do a double feature uh, as a palate cleanser with that episode of Rick and Morty where they go to Cobb World. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can, I can do that for sure. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I'm, I'm like blown away. I feel like we, uh, well, I mean, I guess, I guess your opinion, how you, how you thought you were going to feel about this movie did not change, but I don't know. I guess I'm on your side of it now. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. it's not even like sides, really. I, I mean, I kind of felt bad for like, <clears throat> for like beating on Nolan the whole time because you did make me feel bad about it, or I'm like, not nah, like, I, I, he probably has more merit than I'm giving him credit for, and I'm being, Contra- i'm just being yeah. contrarian right I, I mean i think i think it's funny just because you know this is not <laughs> if i was ever going to convince you to like a christopher nolan movie this is probably not the one i'd pick because <laughs> now because now i'm slowly like coming down to reality and i'm like man i don't i don't like this one. <laughs> this one i don't know i think i think just that contrast will be pretty funny to listen to when this comes out <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right i th- i mean i think this will be a good episode but either yeah. way uh, unless you have anything else to say i guess uh we'll see you next time I- i'm good yeah we'll, cool. we'll see you guys next time yeah and i wonder if it really was i think it was always was show business i think they were pretending to be factories and it was still show business i heard myself speaking these terrible corny lines and there I was stuck with $350,000 worth of show and I had to get on somehow.
plus at the time. Oh, they were real jerks. Plus, plus at the time. Really pieces of work. Plus, plus at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Plus, plus at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. I really did, because he was a monster. But they all were, or almost all of them, those guys. He came on as a monster, you know. He snarled at you, like that. Plus, plus at the time. He was a monster, like that. Plus, plus at the time. I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Follow us on Twitter at MWNS Podcast or contact us at MWNS Podcast at ProtonMail.com. All music used in this episode is produced by Young Carts and used with license.